Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. Dude, I always like to start off the occasional show with kind of an observation of your attire. And this time around, again, apologies for people listening, not watching, but is that T-shirt new? That might be the greatest T-shirt that's ever been made. I'm ready. I'm seeing it. (laughs) David Attenborough in death metal font is what I'm seeing here, ladies and gentlemen. Plague on this earth. And he's got a python wrapped around his neck. And you know what? For the life of me, before we started the show, I'm like, I should probably remember who made this shirt so I can plug it. But guess what? Me did. Me did not do that. So I can't <laughs> plug it. So after the uh, episode, well, I'll figure it out and we'll put it in the description so people know where to get this amazing shirt of David Attenborough. It's he's one of my favorite humans on the planet, and this shirt rules. I'm probably have to get a couple more so I never not have it. I emailed his team trying to get him on my show and oh, definitely dude. try and get him on this as well. But all I got back was just like a, a two word response. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, I don't use that word hero very often, but he's definitely one of my heroes. I, I adore the man with all of my heart. And you've got a great look going on there with the beastie boys patch, a Zappa patch and your hair's getting long and you alternative rocker thing going. I said, when I first saw it, it, like, it reminded me of like Sonic youth, like you could be in Sonic youth. I love it. Great. Well, this, this is what happens when you just hide your hair under a hat for a year of lockdown life and then decide to unleash it onto the world. But let it grow, let it flow, man. I love it. Dig it's, it. It's, it's gray in places. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but here it is. Anyway, if you're listening to all of this, you're thinking, what's happened to this yeah. show? It's gone way downhill. No, it hasn't. Let's get our guest on. Uh, this week's guest is a dear friend of mine. He is one of the sweetest gentlemen in music. Um, and yeah, he's in one of my favorite bands, Anti Flag. Um, he's called Chris Number Two, and he looks like this. If you're watching, Da-na! yeah, you know, a <laughs> uh, uh, couple things. Um, one of my favorite Mitch Hedberg jokes is where he starts doing jokes that you need to see him in person because he's like, "Hey, if you're listening to this, you won't get it." And he's like, "Look at that guy's shirt, man!" Ah, and that was <laughs> your entire bit was. Uh, <laughs> this is just for the people who can see me. Yeah, pretty much, dude. How yeah. are you? Have you have you and Jesse met before? Do you two know each other? We have not, but we we have walked in the same circles. My uh, stage manager, production manager, and band member in the Weapon, Joshy. Yeah. Uh, it loves you and he said to send his love um so we we know the same people but no i've never met him yeah i, I and we've we've played some shows together festivals together and i've seen your band many times and i'm a fan of the band and and oh, no, um likewise uh, man really enjoy uh bothering josh while you're working um 
but uh, yeah, so this is nice to actually meet in semi real life. But yeah, uh, pleasure via Zoom. I know the reality we live in. This is as real as it gets at the moment. Yeah. 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 Um, Well, you two, for me, are very kindred spirits. Um, I think kindness, compassion, and empathy are both of your guiding lights, both in terms of your creative pursuits, the bands you're in, also in, you know, your personal lives, the way you conduct yourselves. I think for me, there's a lot of similarities between you two. And it's, it's an honor to have you on the show, Chris. I've got to say the last podcast I saw you do was with Tom Morello and Wayne Kramer. So, I mean, I don't know whether me and Jesse can compete with that level of icon action, but we're going to do our best. It is it is ridiculous to try to get a word in edgewise with those two guys, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's just like like uh, you know, uh, you're talking with Wayne, and you're like, yeah. And uh, in 2003, when we were doing X, Y, and Z at an Iraq war protest, he was like, well, in '68, and you're like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> uh, you win, you know. Uh, and so yeah, it's definitely, um, uh, especially in terms of people who are using their vocation to try to activate others to think about more than just themselves. There are no greater examples of that than rage and the MC five. And if any, you know, amount of lineage exists that you can put a kill switch or put an anti-flag in those same conversations, we'll, we'll take it. And then we'll go let them speak for us (laughs) because they're much, much smarter and they lived it a really long time. And that's, um, you know, that's all you can ask for with 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 people who create art. They create it uh, because they have to. And uh, uh, yeah, so it was uh, an honor to hang out with those guys. But it's an honor to hang out with you, too, as well. Uh, thank you. you Jesse. Yeah. I like what you just said, create because they have to. I want to speak to that. I was, you know, I've done my research on you. I've listened to some podcasts and I always like to do a little research, but I, I actually really love coming into some of these things a little more raw with just my heart and my hand. So I guess to start for me, I'm curious for you, like you say um, artists that have to do it. Why do you think and why do you feel you have to do what you do? It, like what drives that spirit within you to just, you know, this is your life, you know, yeah. the music, the movement, everything. What was there a moment in your life where you sort of st- maybe came out of a youth just being a fan of music to going, I need to use this for something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that um, there's two sides of it. And, and I, and I know um, that both of you know this well, because you're both writers um, uh, uh, and, and artists in your own right, but there are a, a tremendous amount of things that happen in the subconscious and then only years later do you recognize, oh, that is why that happened, or that's why I said this or wrote this lyric or, you know, jotted down this idea or tried to share this moment. I thought it was about this, but in retrospect now, years later, I can see that it was coming from this place. And that's happened to me a tremendous amount of times. Um, I think that the city I come from is a is uh you know, Pittsburgh being a working class um, steel town, I saw my relatives lose their jobs in lieu of cheap labor. I saw the rug pulled out from from people uh, purely because of greed, because you could save a few pennies here manufacturing in another city or another country. And that destroyed our town for a really long time. And so when you are, you know, five to nine years old and you're seeing that happen, 
you won't realize, but that will later <laughs> greatly influence the things that you create, uh, even on a subconscious level. Um, and for the most part, I just, I don't know. I've tried to do a lot of things and there are very few of them that make me feel uh, valuable or make me feel that I'm contributing um, in, in doing the real work to, you know, it's, it's cliche, but to hopefully leave something along uh, uh, behind that is a value that people will interact with forever. And so, you know, for me, that's music for other people, that's painting for other people, that's writing for other people. That's, you know, the work that they do, um, you know, just to pay the bills. But, but uh, ultimately it, it, somewhere along the line, it changed for me and became this thing about like when I'm gone, what will be left behind and 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 i get that you know people have kids and they leave a lineage of names and you know all that kind of stuff but for me it was just about documenting what's happening in the world and that became um the the modus operandi for the bands that i was in and then later whenever i joined anti-flag at the end of 98 it really hyper focused that and um i get that things should be interpretive for people um but I'm more of a lead a horse to water and then drown the motherfucker. Um, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so that's how we do it. And other people do it other ways, you know, well, some, uh, some people need that, you know, there is a place for that in this world for sure. Yeah. 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 And, and, and ultimately uh, again, if it's wrong, it's wrong, but our failures are what make us strong. Um, and so when you when you try or attempt to do or share or convey a certain agenda or message and it doesn't work, you just try again. Um, and so that goes back into your initial question. It's like, because I have to, I have to just keep trying. Okay, we, we did this, it didn't work. You have to keep trying. Um, I know what the world looks like when we stand on the sidelines and let it unfold for us. I'm more interested in what a world looks like whenever we are engaged in trying to shape and uh, color what it looks like to. Uh, to us uh, in a more just and empathetic way. Love it. Hell yeah, dude. It's so nice to, you know, just hear you talk and and kind of get an update that, you know, you still feel the same way about the world because when you hit pause for a year, right, a lot can change. Um, I'd like to just go in on that real quick, like the, the adjustment for you of this last year of being at home, not playing shows, not being out, not doing what you do to play your active part in trying to make the world a better place than you found it. So how have you found adjusting to this time of just, you know, being at home and, and not getting to do the things that you not only love, but think are so important to, you know, put into positive effect and change in the world, you know, why you're in a band in the first place? Well, I mean, I guess I'll start on the ego level and say it sucks that nobody's clapped for me in a long time. I really enjoy when people clap for me. There you go, dude. Let's boost him. <laughs> That's some yeah. real talk right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, uh, you know, sometimes there's very few people clapping. Sometimes there's a lot of people clapping, but the clapping signifies that we have shared interest and that makes you feel less alone. So, um, uh, again, purely on an ego level, I miss that a bit. Um, Ultimately, everything, the goal of all of the things that the band creates is about limiting suffering in any way we can, or an understanding of that suffering in hopes 
to limit it further. And this pandemic is a great amount of suffering. And it's hard to limit that suffering because there are several insane factors happening. You know, you have um, people dying and, and the reality of that, which is, which is painful. Um, but then you have people that need to work, um, primarily poor people um, who are forced to continue to live in some sense of normalcy, even though things are extremely abnormal. And then you have, you know, people like us who exist somewhere in the middle and you recognize that, okay, the thing that we love to do is taken away. And I feel that I want to be a part of bringing that back in any way, shape or form. But then that's also really selfish and um, not essentially what's best for people. I truthfully hoped um, that this would be a World War II m moment for the world and that uh, on some level there would be a more egalitarian outcome. Um, and unfortunately you're seeing that the paths that we are on are a little bit too carved and the, the, the track that the train is on was harder to derail. Uh, even a global pandemic can't do it. Uh, companies are still making money and still selling the vaccine and holding intellectual property like that when it's in our best interest as a world to share medicine with all people, to share healthcare with all people, to share housing with all people. Um, and so that part's frustrating um, and, and deeply saddening to empathetic people. Um, but also, you know, it's par for the course and it outlies the work that needs to be done to keep, you know, doing our best to uh, uh, make the world better. Um, it feels personally, it feels like a long tour. I've been able to compartmentalize the time at home and this is just what I do now. Um, I take Kung Fu lessons every day to try to move my body. Um, but um, it's not... Um, there's like real shit happening still. So uh, the discomfort of not getting to play a rock and roll show is not very high on my list. Um, it'll happen when it happens. And uh, hopefully it's, you know, as safe as it can be or whatever that means. Uh, uh, some of that, some of those conversations are well above my pay grade as, you know, person in band. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but again, ultimately I know that, that we will figure out a way to do it. Uh, because again, and I'm broken record at this point, it's the only fucking thing I know how to do. I'm gonna do it <laughs> and I have to do it. And uh, we'll figure out what that looks like uh, when the time is right. And I think people are, are you know, waiting for it to return in a way that it was. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, again, I don't particularly care about that. Uh, if it, do you live next door to an airbase, Chris? Uh, no. Do you? Are you hearing that? Maybe it's the microphone. Is it a low rumble? Yeah, it just sounds like planes flying above you or something. Oh, Sorry yeah, to cut yeah. in. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I, uh, just to wrap that thought up, I just, it's not the straits of rock and roll returning right now in the immediacy are not dire to me. The straits that are dire are on the humanitarian front uh, right now. And so the rest will level out whenever it's time for that to level out, I think. Mm.
Yeah, I think we've got not only just physical healing that needs to be done, but mental healing. I think there's a lot of people that have suffered a great deal mentally as well. And the, you know, I feel like there's going to be a real heavy dosage of PTSD with a lot of people with uh, how we move forward. And the, the burden on my heart above all of this has been, you know, um, human compassion and seeing the amount of division that this has caused for whatever reason. And in a, and in a case where you were saying earlier, like, and to continue on that note, like where I was hoping people were going to come together and we're going to like get through this and you've, the amount of division and the crazy, ugly things that have happened. I don't want to say on the sidelines, but in addition to what's happened with the, the pandemic and the virus, we've seen some ugly, crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still, my spirit is still reeling a lot from some of that stuff. So for me, you know, as far as me getting on stage, I'm not super concerned with that either, even though plans are to move forward fairly soon. Um, For me, it's just changed the way that I see my neighbor, that I see people in my community. I've always tried to carry compassion, but I feel like there's an extra level of it now where I just want so badly people to like find some unity and to get along. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting that you say that because, you know, um, the greatest byproduct of me being home every day for the last year and a half is that my partner, she also has been working from home and um, uh, she's usually right at that table right over there. But um, we walk the dog every day and we've met more people and engaged with more people than we would because they're all home too. And uh, you know, that's, that's a valuable byproduct now. Uh, yeah, that's, what I was, that's what I was getting at being home and like feeling like, you know, amidst this, like for me too, like going to the local shop and seeing the same cashier every day. Cause I've lived up here for two years, but when you're on tour, like I've been up here for a few weeks prior to this. So now I'm getting to know my neighbors. I'm getting to know the local grocery store. Like, honestly, man, I love that shit. And like, yeah, I've yeah. never really had that too much with my life. So I'm glad no. you're speaking to that. Cause it's, it's a shift, right? Yeah. And, and that is that, you know, again, if we are home for six months, great. And then we go away for six months and your, your face is, you know, blurry the next time you walk back in that shop or pass by that neighbor. And, uh, uh, this, you know, this, uh, I guess hunkering down that we've had where we have to invest in the people that are immediately next to us. Um, that's very valuable. And that is, you know, if we're looking for silver linings, that's certainly one in my life is that, you know, I now, I now know more people that live next door to me and they're not my enemy. And a lot of people tell me that they should be my enemy. And, uh, uh, if they have more than I have less, or if I have more than they have less. And, um, those conversations, I think really because of the pandemic got a microscope, uh, put on them. And I, I think that that is a valuable thing that we're learning now by the same token, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people who stand to gain and maintain a lot of power based on how separated we all are emotionally and, uh, mentally and ideologically. And, um, that work, you know, that's fucking, that's going to be the rest of our lives trying to repair that and heal that. Um, uh, and may, yeah, it's certainly exacerbated by the pandemic uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And just the last American election and 
what's happening with Brexit, what's happening with the AFD in Germany, false populism, um, the idea of people that are in positions of power as ever being anti-establishment is so crazy to me <laughs> when we're having these conversations. You're like, no, you can't be a president and be anti-establishment. That, is, that doesn't, that, ah, you know, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a very rocky road to go down. <laughs> Chris, one thing we've been learning a lot from doing this show and, and doing this show was really born out of all of this and a real desire on mine and Jesse's part to, you know, bring people together and try and like highlight the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us and try and, you know, offer our, our own form of antidote to, to everything that's been going on. And a lot of the recurring themes have, especially with recent weeks we've had on listeners as well. That's something we do a little bit different on this show is we get on artists and stuff, but we also talk to listeners and it really seems this is something I was already quite aware of and, and was almost certain of and now i've done this show for a while i really believe that a lot of people who are creative and a lot of people who are sensitive often have you know pain and trauma and turbulence in their their life particularly in their past in their childhood and and one thing i learned about you when we did our podcast together was just some of the you know the crazy stuff that had gone on in your life that's obviously i think given you the the compassionate heart that you have. Um, I wonder if you'd be all right, kind of just going down that road for a little while and getting some context um, from your childhood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, that, that again, when you experience pain or when you experience trauma, you deal with it in certain ways. And, and, and some of them are, you know, purely instinctual. Um, some of them are learned behavior. Uh, some of them are, you know, going to therapy and relearning behavior, you know, all of that works, you know, but for me, the theme, I've have a very violent theme in my life. You know, I've, uh, a lot of people that I know and love have been in prison, been in, uh, been murdered, been, um, you know, hurt emotionally and physically. And, um, that coming from that lineage of, of violence, um, whether it be sexual violence or, 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 you know, emotional violence or, you know, economic violence, um, leads me to hunger and thirst for the antithesis. Um, and I found the antithesis to be community and to be shared, um, shared expression of overcoming that pain. And so, um, what we talked about on your podcast, I, I think, um, we, you know, my father molested my sister, um, and, uh, that happened when I was roughly six years old. Um, and my mom, uh, my sister told my mom, um, there was this moment of disbelief and, you know, especially, um, in 1987, whenever this would have happened, I mean, it wasn't the world we're living in now where there is a bit more infrastructure to deal with such pain and such trauma. Um, so, you know, my mom is an Italian immigrant. She came to, to the States when she was 13. She was the last, um, last one of them to come. Um, uh, there were six of them total, uh, uh, six sisters who came. And um, I think that when you grow up, 
in a uh, Italian Catholic neo Christian American version of that as well. Um, being told something like your husband has molested your sister is something that people want to either put under the rug or deal with in a certain way. And thankfully, my mom, you know, was able to understand what she needed to do. And, um, uh, you know, they went to court, it didn't work. Uh, 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 my dad, you know, got off with just some, uh, uh, I think it was like mandatory therapy. Uh, um, and then my mom devoted her life to trying to prevent it from happening again. And it was incredible to see because, you know, she, she had myself, my brother and my sister all living in the house. She managed to maintain the lifestyle that we had while she was with uh, my dad, even though he was gone. Um, she would work double shifts overnight, which led to my brother and my sister kind of getting into some nefarious shit because there was a lot of freedom in their world to do that. And then there was a lot of pain and we were searching, they were searching for an alleviation of pain. And for a lot of people feeling powerful is that alleviation. And how, how do you feel powerful uh, when you grow up in a really poor neighborhood? Well, you have money. How do you get money? You sell drugs. You know, it's like you can you can connect the dots right away. And so my brother's selling drugs, and um, uh, uh, you know, it's a consistent level of anxiety that surrounds that because um, you know cops are always slowing down by the house, and everything is uh, 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 you know. Um, a bit more contentious than a normal childhood is. And so when you're nine years old and the cop pulls up to me at the bus stop and says, Hey, you're Mike's little brother. I'm, I'm going to get him. And I'm like, Oh, I just fucking hate cops. <laughs> and I learned that right then at nine, you know, like the, the cop harassing me at the bus stop, telling me the only other male in my life is going to be gone is a, is a defining moment one that you really don't unpack at that time, you unpack it much later and you're like, oh, why was I drawn to the dead Kennedys? And why did I <laughs> like, you know, uh, Anti-Flag, who was, a, you know, I joined the band in 98. The band started in 96. Um, and so I was, you know, 14 years old and I heard they had a song called Fuck Police Brutality. And I was able to unpack some of my distrust towards authority figures, which, again, has a direct lineage to my father being a child molester and you know who is your greatest authority figure when you're six years old you know um so yeah i mean all of that is pretty clear to me at this stage of my life when you connect the dots through all of it um but yeah so just to go through it you know my my mom god bless her um when my dad remarried she would go to people's houses and knock on their door and tell them, this is what happened to us. You should know. And, you know, she got a lot of doors slammed in her face. She had a lot of people say, no way, you know, that wouldn't happen. And sure enough, it happened again. Um, and we have this thing, uh, Matt, uh, we, ha we have a thing in the States called Megan's Law. And if you are um, uh, a... Um, if you're arrested for child molestation or child abuse, 
or um, uh, uh, sexual abuse of a minor, um, and you have more than two marks on your record for it, you automatically go to jail for a certain amount of time. So that kicked in because of the first case with my sister and then this being the second case. And my dad went to jail and, um, you know, that was, again, a, a reckoning for me because I was, um, you know, I now understand, like, you have all these things, you know, and, and, and I don't know if we talked about this on your uh, podcast um, the first time, Matt, but, but the, you know, even the kid who killed my sister, like, or so perhaps killed my sister. I still don't really know whether he did it or not, but the person who was arrested for it and then later um, was not charged with the crime. There was uh, a reasonable doubt and it didn't go through. There was a confession. He confessed to it, but again, I don't really trust cops. And he was an 18 year old kid who um, very easily could have been coerced into uh, giving that confession. So uh, dealing with that and knowing that in America, for-profit prison system uh, is a broken system and one that I believe to be need to, needs to be dismantled. And then you have this pain and what is the repercussion for the pain? You send the kid to prison and you're, you're like, oh shit, I've got to compartmentalize where I actually stand on this issue and wanting some semblance of justice for, you know, the pain that my father caused my sister and obviously her death as well. So, um, yeah, it, that's a lot to unpack and I'm trying to condense it into a way that might make sense to you guys over there, but it is, um, it's, these are conversations that, like you said, when people who have experienced trauma or experienced pain, put that into their art, we very easily disassociate the human element in that. And so, um, when we write songs about the prison industrial complex, or we write songs about the, you know, poor and uh, uneducated pipeline to prison, or we write a song about, um, you know, militarized police and the abuse of not only power, but the abuse, uh, you know, the emotional abuse of cops driving through poor neighborhoods and the fear that that exists. Uh, some of it's coming from, okay, I read this and I'm taking this in and I put this out, but some of it's also coming from, well, these are my experiences with these people and these institutions. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know this one is broken. And uh, it's very easy to disassociate the human side of it and be like, okay, band, song, that's that. Um, but, you know, every time we make one of those statements, all of that shit is filtering it through and the byproduct or the product of the song or the art or whatever. Um, it cannot be separated from the lived experience and um, the verbalized uh, version of storytelling. You know, I uh, just taking all that in as a fairly empathetic person myself, uh, you know, I, I experienced a little bit of anxiety there and then just anger. And I can't even imagine 
the amount of anger that um, maybe even today you still harbor and I guess speak on the the power of, because I deal with my own issues myself and what I've been through and what I've seen and, you know, the hypocrisy of organized religion being a pastor's kid raised that way. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of stuff I internalize and I try to put out through my lyrics to, to make some sort of a difference and hopefully help people along that have wounds like I do. So for you taking that, I'm assuming a lot of fucking anger, dude, from mm-hmm. your childhood and using that as a tool for change, like, isn't that really what, what it's all about? Like I have so much admiration for you just hearing that and knowing who you are now and knowing what you do. Cause not everybody can do that, dude. You know, like, I, I know people cause I came from a, a poor upbringing as well. I've got friends who are in prison because their anger from what happened to them mm-hmm. took over and they just got violent too. So either you become a product of your environment or you find a way to like raise yourself out of it. And I feel like music was your ticket out of that sort of mindset. And you really seem to me like to take your anger and you've weaponized it in a very positive way through your music. And I guess I just want to say, I commend you for that and maybe speak on taking anger and using that as like a tool to change. Oh, I I greatly appreciate that assessment of it. it. That's something I've not, even I haven't really done the work to understand how it's useful other than uh, I know that the lens that I see the world through is shaped by that. Um, and so when you see it and then you comment on it, you know, for a very long time, I saw anti-flag as journalists. Um, uh, and, and even for, you know, maybe, you know, I joined the band in 98. It wasn't really until 2015 that I was interjecting myself and my shared experience into the songs. Now, uh, we talked about this at the very beginning. Some of it was subconscious and I didn't recognize that I was storytelling in that way. But I always saw the band as, okay, injustice here. And how do we let people know of this injustice? Well, write the hookiest guitar part we can write, write the catchiest chorus we can write, get them singing it in their heads, and then they'll learn about injustice in Darfur. They'll learn of, you know, depleted uranium or whatever the fuck, you know, hyper-specific agenda the band was discussing in the song. And that was what I assumed, you know, that comes out of folk music, that comes out of all protest music, where it is, this is the injustice, this is the documentation of the injustice. I met... Uh, we met Billy Bragg. We went to one of his shows when we were young. Um, uh, the first record had been out. It, you know, it's a very aggressive punk rock record that a lot of people connect with, and we're grateful for that. But we were curious as to how we can be better stewards of um, social justice, and so we asked that of Billy Bragg. And Billy listened to the record, and he said, "Wow, you've got a lot to say. It's very angry." Uh, and then he said, you'll catch more flies with honey. And love that. Oh, that's awesome. And it was very, it just became like that work on the craft, write the best and catchiest song you can write hide or not hide, but have the backbone of the lyric be the intention. And then, you know, later on when you're at work, you're tapping your foot and you're humming along to this thing that was really catchy. Guess what? It has has some really heavy shit in there. And then um, I was at home in, uh, well, 
2008, we made a record after my sister was killed. And I thought that I was being open and I thought, okay, this is my moment to write a song about what happened, write a song about her murder, write a song about, you know, she was killed over $30 in drugs, you know, and, and um, shot in the back of the head twice. It's a, it's an un, it's not an uncommon story. Um, but it's one that, you know, you never shake it. It haunts you. I mean, uh, I had, when I was 15 years old, I had a, uh, a girlfriend and, uh, she had really curly, you know, kind of dready hair and there's a food service, uh, that goes around the Pittsburgh area called nappies. And, uh, 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 you know, it's a bit of a racist term. And I remember my sister pointing at the truck and saying, there's nappy like your hair. And I was like, even I know that that's offensive. You shouldn't say that. That's I, I, you know, and we had this, I had this argument with my sister about it. And now 20 years later, I see the truck drive by and I'm like, fuck that was a distinct moment having this argument, but you know, and you, you never, you carry grief with you. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And, and, and so whenever I thought I was telling the story, I was still being a journalist and I was still, I was still skirting around the personal and just saying like, these things happen, not these things happen to me. And so do you think that's an age thing, Chris? Like, as you get older, you perhaps have more of a command over, you know, your skill set, if you want to refer to it as that. But you're also just more wise and humbled, and perhaps you feel confident enough to address I, I, the situation and I, express I, yourself. I certainly believe that's part of it, but I know that it was a cognizant thing in twenty. So, so that was she was killed in two thousand and seven. Um, uh, we, we made a record called bright lights of America in 2008. And my in, intention was to make the record tell that story. But in the end, it just was sad. <laughs> I just used sad chords and just kind of talked about these things, but didn't insert myself. And I do, I know for a fact that in, in 2015, um, we made a record called American spring. And that was in the wake of the Mike Brown verdict. And I sat on my couch and I watched them not indict that police officer. And the camera panned to Mike Brown's mother. And I saw my mother's face it, when we were in the courtroom. And they didn't, uh, uh, you know, put that kid in jail. Um, the pain that she had for the lack of justice, all they wanted was some semblance of this wasn't in vain and we know what happened and that forever unknown, you know, we don't know who killed her. We don't know how it went down. Nobody who was in that room is around to tell that story in a way that makes sense to us. And that that's the constant, that's the grief that we now carry with us every day. And so, you know, going back to, is it age? Partly, but for me, I was like, we've made 10 records. 
if this if this new version of writing songs fails, that's okay. It's like, I, you know, and, and, and Jesse, I think you can understand this. There comes a point when you go, well, I've done all the things I believe I um, set out to do. You know, we played New York city. I was like, fuck, I'm done. We're kiss. Like it's over. Like, like I'm not, we're not in our parents' basement anymore. We played New York city. Check it off. We went to Europe. Holy shit. I never thought I would do that. You know, all of those mile markers that you hit, at some point you have to say, I don't care <laughs> about the preconceived notion of what the art is supposed to be or supposed to look like or supposed to sound like, or supposed to feel like. At some point, these people have made an investment in you as an individual and as a collective group. And that has a lot of value in recognizing that. And obviously, we want to super serve our audience. We never want to challenge them too much. I, 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 you know, even when the fucking Beatles were playing sitars, they knew to put drive my car on the damn record. <laughs> like, it's so you got to be cognizant of how you're, you know, who your audience is and what your collective connection is. And for us, it's, four chord punk rock. It's the clash. It's the dead Kennedys. It's green day, et cetera, et cetera. And those are still my favorite bands. So I want to honor that legacy of influence, but in terms of creating the art, I feel free to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And so in 2015, I remember going, I'm going to change this. Now I'm going to start writing the song with I and me and allowing people to know what has happened in the road that I took to get here. Now I shared those stories in interviews or shared those things, but this was the first time that the art itself reflected it. And um, it's been liberating. It's also sucks. Now we talk a lot about it. We talk more about it in interviews and things like that. And that sucks. You know, sometimes it would be sick if somebody was like, what kind of amp do you use? Uh, <laughs> we don't get that question. We've never gotten that question. Um, but I also know that that's not my value. My value isn't what gauge strings I use. My value is the stories and um, finding people who have shared lived experience and comforting them with those stories and comforting them with the community and an alleviation of suffering because that's all we're after. You know, whether it's a 45 minute set and for that 45 minutes, you forgot about what's going on. You forgot that you're behind on your light bill payment or you forgot that you're behind on, um, you know, the schoolwork that you need to do or, or something further. You were able to alleviate the pain of your childhood or your suffering, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. So um, that's all we're searching for. Um, and doesn't happen all the time, you know. Sometimes it only happens once a week. Sometimes it happens four shows in a row. Sometimes, you know, um, but uh, typically it will happen enough that it gives you the energy to keep going. I think uh, for me, what struck me um, when you were talking about the writing process and putting yourself, injecting yourself in to the music. Um, you know, I know there's a certain amount of like you, you mentioned the clash, which is one of my all time favorite bands. And I love, I got into punk um, because I felt stifled and I wanted to have my voice heard. And when I first started writing, um, it was very much, you know, about something fucked up that happened in the world. And 
I didn't really inject myself too much either at the beginning. I think some people do that to, to get the message across. Some people do it as a defense mechanism. So when you switch and you start putting yourself into the songs, you're allowing yourself on a whole other level to be vulnerable. It's one thing to talk about a cause in an interview and like champion a, a cause or an injustice. And it's a totally different thing to allow yourself to be vulnerable and say, yeah, this is my life now. I'm putting me into this stuff. And I've been doing that for a long time to an exhausting degree for me because, you know, I've made a career out of talking about mental illness, talking about, you know, spiritual warfare, talking about all these things that I've injected myself so much into my music that I get so drained that when I'm off tour, like I literally shut down and I've, I've gone into depressions. Like it's been really, really hard for me with my career, but I wouldn't change it for anything because once you start injecting yourself into the music, I feel like you you have a deeper connection with your audience because people are seeing you are allowing yourself to put yourself out there. Yeah. And I think there's a much stronger that connection that happens when you hear somebody who's standing in front of you on stage going, this is who I am. I'm bleeding for you right now. Mm-hmm. It's not just about this subject matter. It's like, I'm feeling this. So I commend you for doing that. And I'm certain that you saw a change. People start to connect to you personally on a personal level. And you know, the, the Billy Bragg line, you said, I love that. What was it about the honey? Repeat that for me. You catch more flies with honey. Yeah. Right. So to me, it's not necessarily honey, but you injecting yourself into the songs is another way to really draw people in and affect them on a level that sometimes those political songs that are just giving you the reporter style music, which is valuable, but there's a whole other you can mix the two together and put the message in with the personal. That's when you're like changing people's entire view of who you are as an artist. And I commend you for that. I think that's the way to do it. It's beautiful. People connect to vulnerability and that's something I've been championing for years and I've gotten tons of shit for it. I get made fun all the time, you know, and like mm-hmm. the style of music you're talking about too, where you write the catchy thing because yeah. you want the people to sing along. And then before you know it, they're singing along to a cause or to, to talking about compassion and unity and all these things. As tough as that is, it's, it's necessary work and as exhausting as it is to put yourself into it. How powerful is that, man? You know, yeah. and I, I love hearing you talk about that and having that shift. That's beautiful. Well, I, yeah, and 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 ultimately, there is a level where you recognize that, again, whether or not people listened or they came to the show, I would like to believe that we'd be on the same trajectory. Um, it's a lot easier to manifest the ideas because there is an audience, there is the money to record records, et cetera, et cetera, because people listen to it or people buy it or people come to the show. Uh, that economy allows you uh, the freedom to do those things. Um, but I also know that like, I, we played shows for a really long time when nobody cared. And uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back on it or change it or erase it. Um, I think I'd still be doing it <laughs> even if nobody cared. I'd like, I like to believe that. So um, yeah, it's, it's always refreshing and, 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 you know, what you're talking about is true. Sometimes when somebody comes up to me and, you know, you've just played a show and your, your adrenaline is peaked and you're 
emotions are, you know, a bit scattered because of the stories that you were telling in there. And then somebody wants to talk about a death that they experienced in their life and what song connected with them. And you're like, Whoa, <laughs> it's like an ambush, you know? Yeah. And, and you have to remember that that grief is always there and you carry it with you and you see the truck and the truck reminds you of the argument and then you spiral and then you've got to do the, use the tricks that you have within yourself to calm yourself back down and to level yourself out. Um, and we all have them. Some of them are bad for us. Some of them are good for us, you know, coping and, uh, 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 you know, all the mechanisms that exist out there to aid with coping. Um, uh, there's a, there's more of them that are bad for you than, than there are that are good for you. But if you can find the ones that work for you and then are healthy, um, I highly recommend it because unfortunately there is so much violence and pain in this world. We are all experiencing it. And so it, it, it's not a, it's not a competition to who had the hardest life. And because you had the hardest life, your art is going to be, uh, sorry, the dogs. <laughs> Don't be sorry uh, for that. That's awesome. Uh, um, You're getting but, backup. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the art that you create is going to be greater or received better or um, have more success, whatever that means, um, because of the amount of suffering you've had as an individual. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe you have to be eccentric or have difficulties to create great art because there is a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering that's out there in the world that you can see and, and want to relieve. Um, and that's the art that I gravitate to, you know, that like, I understand that, you know, pop songs are great and songs that, uh, uh, you know, alleviate, um, alleviate some of those stresses, stresses are important for people as an escape, um, just a distraction, right? Also, distraction and entertainment. Yeah. But I also, for me, I see the politics in a song like blue suede shoes because that's where my brain goes. You know, <laughs> like, so I, I, I find the agenda in all of it. And so I think that if you want to see things as apolitical, you can. Um, unfortunately, the world we live in is not apolitical and, 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 and abstaining from the processes that are happening around you is not being apolitical, it's lacking empathy uh, uh, for me. I think we need to, to be engaged with what's happening around us uh, in some way, you know, even if it's on a minimal level, even if it's just like, yo, these are, these are my friends and this is how I look out for my community, then that's, that's valuable. Um, yeah, I think but, you have to play to your strengths in that case, right? I mean, some people yeah. are good at bringing those issues to light and discussing them, debating them. And some people are just good at supporting those people who are on the front lines of this. You know, like I've found my role during all this not to be a huge loudspeaker for my opinion. Um, I had a humbling moment this year where I realized I'm a better healer than I am sort of a, a guy on the front lines, like trying to fight for social justice, which I still do in my own way. Don't get me wrong. It's still very much a part of who I am but I found a lot more power in sort of being not a healer, but someone who's there to listen and to help people understand things. So I think within our community, you know, our village, if you will, you have to find out what you're good at and use that to, because, you know, everybody needs something. 
You know, even some of the, the best healers or therapists that I've met or shamans or whatever you want to, they all need somebody too to lean back on. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. We all do play a role. And that's been a huge thing for me this year is realizing that I always saw myself as this type of a person. You know, I grew up in anarchy and punk and fuck the system and all that stuff is still very much a part of who I am. But with the, the empathy and with age and wisdom, I've learned that the gentleness, the kindness, the compassion that I can harbor is much more appealing to me. And it feels more comfortable to me as a human to give that gift to my community and to my people and to my listeners. So I think it, you know, it goes back to the point of you do have to be engaged. Absolutely. Every single person has a responsibility. If you want to make this world a better place, you can't stand on the sidelines, mm -hmm. but knowing what you're good at. Cause some people are not the greatest at being yeah. a mouthpiece yeah. for, for social change. Some people need to step back and let other people talk. Yeah. Well, but, and, and I mean, there's a few, few valuable uh, things that you said and that we should touch on one being the internet is supposed to be much more egalitarian and much more unifying than it has become. Unfortunately, we put, you know, Joe Schmoe's or Jane Schmoe's tweet on the evening news as if it's of, of importance. And that's allowed a lot of people to think that their one voice is important. And I've never cared about one voice. You know, it is about what is, What's the collection? What's the chorus? What is what? What do we feel? Um, and the, so the greater yeah. good, right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 so ultimately, um, I wish that we could recognize that uh, uh, and see that more clearly. That um, it isn't a you know activism isn't a competition. Um, there are these. Uh, varying levels and varying degrees and varying roles for people to play in lifting all boats, you know, um, and going back to what you're talking about, uh, you know, just about being kind. I think that punk rock is cyclical in that nature. And sometimes being countercultural is always about lessening suffering. And right now we are at peak suffering. So what is the most punk rock thing you can do? Be kind. <laughs> it's like, it's when we get when we get lost in the nuance of comment, and we discussed this earlier about, you know, millionaire slash billionaires being presidents and considering any of the anti establishment <laughs> or countercultural, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, you know, it's, it's insanity privilege. is what it is. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's absolutely insanity. It's just fucking stupid, really. Yeah, yeah. So so when we get down to the meat and potatoes of it, you know, what what is there more than anything? And there's, you know, there's greed and there's pain and there's violence. And so what's the antithesis of that? You know, community, <laughs> uh, love and kindness. And so it's like that, that, that to me, if we're just looking at a global scale of what, the establishment is and what the antithesis of that is it's pretty clear that that having a conscious and sharing empathy is punk rock right now um there will come times hopefully in a more egalitarian future when that divide is much less and there's maybe more nuance to what punk rock is because we can be talking about finer and more um poignant issues and that has happened throughout history you see that 
ebb and flow. Um, but but right now it's fucking meat and potatoes to me. It's very clear. It's like it's it's good versus evil right now. And so we've just got to be good. Um, and by being good, we are anti-establishment. Let me ask you this, Chris. Do you have hope for the future? Are you optimistic that good will triumph right now as of where we're at? Is the future looking like it's going to be sunshine and happiness for all or the other way for you? Well, what is it? Tuesday? Tuesday, <laughs> I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> Wednesday, I've, I've got my uh, 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 Monday, Tuesday, Friday. I think we're all right. The other days, I don't. Yeah, no, um, I, I, don't, I don't particularly have that answer. Um, I know that the trajectory that we're on is unsustainable, um, unsustainable for us as humans emotionally, unsustainable for the planet um, on a pure you know, environmental, uh, violence level. Um, and I also know that like the stockholder meetings of Exxon Mobil and stockholder meetings of Raytheon and Bechtel and, um, you know, the Pentagon and furthermore, uh, you know, whether it's Bezos or Gates or whoever, um, they all see the writing on the wall too. So there will be a collective shift at some point and whether or not we can see beyond it and it's not, you know, a, 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 you know, a, I struggle with this because there is, there is a, we live in, in, in a, in a hypersensitive, hypernationalist world right now, specifically in the States where, but at the same time, the corporate elites pledge no nationalities at all and, and are rolling the world with an iron fist. And so they are further ahead in knowing how much time we have left, how far we can be pushed, uh, uh, how far the, how, how much juice is left in the, planet that they're squeezing like a lemon and so i think that that shift is going to happen and we'll have to have a reckoning with all of the things that we are comfortable with or you know there is a cynical side that says or an even more cynical side that says they don't care and you know they'll squeeze every last drop out of it and we'll all die <laughs> at some point and so sometimes that gets the best of me and sometimes there's a middle ground where the corporations understand you know you saw volvo switched all their cars to electric cars or whatever. It's like, yay. But also I know a corporation isn't going to save me. I know a president isn't going to save me. I know a politician isn't going to save me, a prime minister, a pope, a CIA kingpin. That's not where my, um, my savior and, and my, um, my hope lies. My hope lies in, 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 in people. Um, so based on that, I think that I know that more than ever, people are thinking about a better world than the one we currently have. And that gives me a lot of hope. What wins in the end? I don't know. Um, I don't have that answer. All I know is that we have to try to win because uh, I'll be really bummed if, if <laughs> just for Chris's <laughs> mood, if nothing else <laughs> we need to attempt this people. <laughs> yeah. I just know that, I just know that if our legacy is as, as artists and as creators, if our legacy is 
well, we tried for a while and then we gave up. Uh, that's less interesting to me than, well, they went out. At least they went out uh, 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 hoping uh, for a better world. And there's always going to be somebody much, you know, whether they're making, they're creating their art with a guitar or whether they're just using their phone or whatever. There's always going to be somebody who grew up the way I grew up or experienced pain the way we experience pain. And they go like, yo, all this ethereal shit that we're fighting over, this doesn't matter. The reality is, is our human interaction and the love that we share and the empathy that we share. And that's going to drive the car. Um, Dude, that's 100% what I would have said. Perfect. That's right there. You just summed it all up. Fucking awesome. Amen to that. Dude. Yes. Cause that's true. Like there's a distraction going on. There's all these things going on, whatever you want to call it. But the core of it really is we have to do better as humans. Yep. And you know, I'm, I'm, hopelessly uh optimistic sometimes and it's i i'm with you on this i feel like i believe in the good of people like there is an inherent good in people's spirits they just have to rally around something they can get behind and right now we've got too many things going on where it's not easy to polarize people on one thing or the other there's so much division mm -hmm. so for me i'm like you i'm baffled by it but i'm going to continue to fight whatever good fight I can fight. Cause I do believe that love will overcome somehow. And that may sound silly to some people, but I can't help it. That's just how I feel. Yeah. And it's, it's look, it, there's not a, there's <laughs> our reach and our power is so limited as individuals, but collectively it's endless. And that's the story right there. I mean, that's that that's that's it. And you and and now because we can see, you know, military coups in Myanmar, drone strikes in Syria, all of it is zapped into us all the time. We are at this cultural reckoning of the pain and of the violence, and it feels overwhelming. And in that overwhelming, we search for the easy solution to it. And that's what's led to the, the division that we see. It's very easy to say, okay, you lost your job. You, um, your economy is suffering. Your town or community is hurting. It's an immigrant. It's a refugee. It's, a, you know, it's so easy to punch down. And that's just what, where we're at as, as global societies. And so that reckoning is taking place currently. Um, again, I don't have a crystal ball to know how it will level out in the end or who will win or what will overcome. I just know that people at their core, when presented with right and wrong, make the right decision. And I truthfully believe that. And I've always believed in, 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 in people's ability to choose kindness and empathy first. Um, we have a lot of things and a lot of suffering that's happening that people are searching for quick solutions for a quick relief from, and that is leading us to live confusing and um, more arduous lives than we need to be leading. And so I don't know what the answer is. I tend to take my cues from those that are closest to the suffering. I've found that those with the most, valuable solutions are the ones that are closest to the suffering.
And so uh, we sometimes need to take our cues from, from, from those folks that are there. And, um, you know, it's a slippery slope from being emotionally abusive and, and asking somebody who's in pain for the answer. That's not what I'm saying, but uh, I'm just saying that. Hear that side. Listen. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of creativity in those solutions. And so that's where, where it comes down. You know, it's in the art. It's in the, um, uh, you know, all things that are created, whether it's, you know, something as simple as blog posts on the internet or something as great as filmmaking, you know, all of these things, um, uh, all of these communities that are suffering have someone in there to tell that story. And um, I'm interested in hearing them and um, I'm hopeful that we'll learn from them. And in that learning, we will do better uh, as human beings around the world. I think that's true wisdom right there. That's what it is. You know, you have to realize again, going back to the statement of like playing to your strengths, the, the humility it takes to step back and say, you know, I feel passionate about this particular thing or the way of the world, but there's somebody who can speak better on this. And I think that's just pure wisdom right there. People who are at the core of what's happening are the haves or the have nots. You need to balance those out and let people tell their stories. And that's what we try to do with this podcast. Something as simple as just hearing someone tell their story about their life, their experience, and how powerful that can be to somebody who's listening or paying attention that has been through something similar or maybe has no idea about that particular subject and can learn so much from it. So I think you've just honestly, to me, just really wrapped up everything we just said in the past few minutes with just a lot of wise things. I commend you for that as well. I am definitely a fan of you, brother. This has been a great talk for me. I truly, uh, yeah, I look forward to meeting you someday, man. Give me a big old hug. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm grateful. And, um, I've known Matt for a long time and, and, and Matt's been on, you've been on both sides of it because we even had this kind of talk about, um, Cause we did a tour together and we really didn't hang out the entire tour. But then at the end we were friends because I knew he was good, <laughs> but yeah. when I'm on the road, I don't really do anything, you know, like it's like so focused on the task at hand. And, and, yeah, and people wouldn't know that if you don't on the road, you like, it can be a really busy thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just really, it's just really um, great to come full circle where I feel I feel closer to Matt now. I feel closer to you now. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm sure we're going to play together soon in a summer. It's just a festival. I will find you. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm looking forward to it and I appreciate you guys. You're, you're doing great work. And, and um, again, you, your background in um, mental health advocacy is so important. Um, especially for people in bands who have microphones and who are saying things loudly. Um, a lot of us need some help. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, yeah, and that's a, that's a, it's a valuable tool to have within you to have these conversations with people and have your perspective. Um, because a, it just makes this more compelling the conversation itself, but B it, I know for a fact that it will be helpful to so many. So um, I can't help it. Like you said, man, I have to do it. If I don't do it, I won't be able to sleep at night. If I don't talk about my vulnerability or allow people to talk, like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's my calling, you know, and it's fulfilling and it's heartbreaking at times, but you know, we're out here doing, we're out here. And I think it's, that's what wraps it up for me too. with like people who were born and raised in 
the punk rock mentality, it's, it became something as you got older than it was when you were younger. You know, for me younger, it was like chaos anger. Like I got into it cause I was fucking angry as shit. And now I'm even more angry now than I was when I was 15, but I've channeled That's direction. It. Yeah. yeah. And, and to me, everything you've said in the past 10 minutes of just, uh, that's why I still do what I do. Cause I, I can't not, if you have the wherewithal and you have the knowledge and the wisdom of, of how you can channel your gifts and how you can help somehow, like you just kind of have to do it. So yeah. Or, oh, or man, I feel like, I feel like this could go on. We could talk for hours. With this, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, I, I got Kung Fu in 17 minutes. Yes. So, there's a I'm hard envious of your Kung Fu. That's <laughs> I love that. Uh, so cool. Gents, but thank you all. It's been great watching you two connect. This conversation was everything I hoped it would be. I knew you'd have so many shared beliefs and, and common interests and goals. And um, yeah, it's been nice just watching the pair of you get on the same page and, and chat. Yeah. Chris, it's lovely to see your face. Yeah. And thank you for always just being such a kind-hearted, inspiring, shining example of what a human being can and should be, my friend. I look up to you a lot, always have. And um, I thank you for, for all your light that you shine out into the world in your music and just in your day-to-day -day life, man. You're a good wow. human, Chris. Yeah, you're uh, one of the ones that should be speaking on all this stuff. I, I love it. I back it. And uh, yeah, definitely a, a new fan of you, for sure. So I will, I'm gonna, now I'm going to listen to Anti-Flag with a whole other... <laughs> I know that guy too. Yeah, I, I, I very, I greatly appreciate it. It's embarrassing to hear you say all those nice things about me. But <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> what you got coming up, Chris? Is there anything on the anti-flag horizon you'd like to tease at this juncture? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think we're <laughs> gonna play. I think we're gonna play shows this year. Um, nice. I really believe that it's gonna happen. Um, and then from there, I'd like to um. I'd like us to write some songs here soon. Um, I haven't felt inspired to document the pandemic. That's not been a thing. I'm, I'm more interested in the postmortem of it and what mm -hmm. our takeaways are. Um, so I think we're getting close to that. And so I would like to, um, I'd like to document that uh, some way, um, whether that's a full record, whether it's just a couple songs, I don't know yet. Um, and then, we are very close to moving our home base. Um, we, we bought a building and um, we're fine. The 20 years of renting one shitty warehouse in Pittsburgh, we're moving to another one. So knock on wood, it all goes through in the next couple of weeks and um, we'll have the studio running and we can start hit the ground uh, writing some songs. So that's the goal, but um, I've learned my lesson not to predict where I'm going to be anytime soon. So I'll just say, I hope that I'm somewhere and I hope it's with some friends. Amazing. Well, listen, give my love to Justin and the boys. And uh, until we next meet again, stay in touch, all the best. And thanks again, dude. That was a wonderful right. conversation. Stop, Peace, y'all. Be I'll good, help. guys. Later. Cheers, Chris.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.